family value number three. We need to know that hard work should be promoted in our family. Look what it says down in verse number 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let's pray together before we get into this. Father, again, we love you. We need you. We can do nothing without you. Thank you for the truth that you've given me, and I'm asking that you be with me in this presentation as you've been with me in my preparation. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place. We're just asking that you would have your way. Do your will, Lord, do your work right here this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for your sake. Amen. Hard work should be promoted in every household. Now, how many of you understand, I believe if there's a message that needs to be preached in America today, it's this one. God is for the promotion of a good work ethic. <laughs> and he always has been. I've heard people actually say that the work that we do was actually a result of the fall of Adam in the garden. When Adam chose to sin and, um, and sin entered this world and actually marred this world and caused it not to be what God wanted it to be, that work then was a result of the fall of man. But that's not true. Let me prove it to you. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, brothers, if you will, please. Put this on the screen for me. Genesis chapter number 2, starting in verse number 8. Genesis 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. Now skip down, brothers, if you will, please, to verse number 13. Look what the scripture says there. And the name of, excuse me, Verse number, <clears throat> I don't want to misquote it to you, give you the wrong one. Let me just look for myself. Verse number 15 instead of 13. And the Lord God took the man, the Bible says, and put him into the Garden of Eden. Watch this now. To dress it and to keep it. So how many of you know this was before Adam sinned? God said, okay, Adam, I'm going to give you a place, and that place is going to be perfect. I'm going to give you everything you need. But when I put you there, I'm also going to give you a job. I'm going to give you some work to do. And the work you're going to do is to dress the garden and keep the garden. Really what he's saying to Adam, I want you to make the place I've given you better than what it even is now. I want you to continually protect, continually uh, cultivate, continually dress, and keep this garden that I have provided. Work came before the fall of man. Work is not a bad thing, but a very good thing. As a matter of fact, work is a gift. Work gives us a sense of purpose. Work gives us a sense of accomplishment. Work, again, is not a bad thing, but a good thing. Let me tell you something else. We also see in Genesis chapter 2 that God formed for Adam a woman. And he brought the woman to the man. But how many of you know, before God gave Adam a wife, God gave Adam a job. 
he was working before the wife came. And let me say something to you, young ladies. If a man doesn't have a job, he don't need to have a wife. My grandma used to say, if there's no J-O-B, there's no L-O-V-E. I agree with her. How do you know God agrees with her? See, ladies, if you choose to marry a man who doesn't have a job, then he's going to think he can always live off of you. That you will provide for him. That's not how God has set this up. God gave Adam a job and put him to work before he gave him a wife. Now, let me give you some good verses on this subject that come straight from the Word of God. First of all, we need to know that the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, verse number 10 through verse number 13. Brothers, if you will, please put that up for me. He says, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Everybody see it? This is God the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul. And what he's saying is, if a man's not willing to work, then that man don't eat. Now why would he say that? Because a hungry belly is a great motivator. Right? Really what Paul is saying and what we need to be applying in the world that we live in we certainly take care of people who can't work, but we don't take care of people who won't work. We live in a world where there's a sense of entitlement, where people think they deserve something. How many of you know you deserve nothing? I deserve nothing. And, and I want to tell you something, folks. Be careful with that word deserve. I don't think any of us really want what we deserve. That's why I'm thankful for mercy and grace. <laughs> on every level, on a spiritual level and on a physical level. I don't think any of us really want what we deserve. Be careful with that word. Listen, the world owes you nothing. People owe you nothing. The great news is, especially for you, we as American citizens live in the land of opportunity. We have been given freedom. Freedom to go out and seize the day, can you say amen? Take advantage of the opportunity that's around us, and it's all over the world that you live in. Let me tell you how I know that. I see help-wanted posters everywhere. Go get it. Work is a good thing. Again, if a man won't work, Paul said don't eat. Go on to the next verse, verse number 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Let me tell you what he means by that. They're not willing to do what's necessary to provide for themselves or their family, but they are doing everything they can to stay in everybody else's business. They're not handling their business, but they're talking about everybody else's business. He says that shouldn't be. Certainly shouldn't be in the church. Verse 12, watch this. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their, everybody say it, own bread. Again, there's a sense of accomplishment 
and a sense of the fulfillment of purpose. When you go out and work and go buy your own bread and, or make your own bread, my brother, <laughs> and, and bring it home to your family, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And God has given us the ability and the opportunity to work. So he says there in Ephesians chapter number 4 that let him, verse number 28, let him that stole steal no more. So in context, really what the Bible is saying to us, if you can work but won't work but still take from others, it's like stealing. Amen? And we got a lot of people stealing from others, stealing from the government, because they can work, but they won't work. Let me tell you what I love about the Word of God. It's truth. And it works. Do you see how things on a social level could be and would be fixed if we just apply the truth of the Word of God? That, that, is, that is something that is such a blessing about being able to preach the Word of God and apply the Word of God and live out the Word of God. And, and it's something that encourages me greatly. Let me tell you one reason I know God is real. Because His Word works. When you work it. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, young man. His word works. It just makes sense to me. If God created us, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Therefore, he knows how life is to be lived. For he is the creator of life. And what we have in the word of God are instructions for life that work when you work it. It's amazing. Work ethic, hard work should be promoted in the home. Let me give you another verse. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 23. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it here. Colossians 3, 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Ask the Lord and not unto men. What he's saying is, if you do have a job, then do it well. Do it well. Let me tell you why. Because ultimately, as a believer, we're really working for the Lord. In whatever we do. I know what we sometimes think that we separate that which is spiritual and that which is secular. How many of you know, not true for the, for the man of God, for the woman of God, for the Christ follower. Because the Bible says we are to put on Christ. That means we wear him on Sunday. <laughs> and we wear him on Monday. Just like a suit of clothes. Listen, wherever we are, we are in Christ. Christ is in us. And I want you to know that when we do a good job at our workplace, that becomes then an act of worship unto the Lord. For ultimately, we do it all for him. Can you say amen? So he says, when you do work, be the best you possibly can be. God promotes a good work ethic he promotes hard work and we should too in our home now how do we apply that to our family well mom and dad you should be the example for your children of what hard work looks like they need to see you get a job hold down a job keep a job and they need to see you do at your job, what you say you're going to do. If, I mean, if you say you're going to go and work and they're going to pay you for something, then go do the work and do it well. And when they see that, they can follow that example. Amen? 
And then we teach them how to do it. Well, you say, brother, well, how do we teach them? Well, that's easy. Listen, they need to understand if they want something, they need to work for it. My kids, one thing that me and Brandy have always tried to do is if they want something extra, I mean, we provide their needs and we provide their wants as we see fit because we're mom and dad. Can you say amen? And some things they want, they don't need. But what we can provide as far as wants and what is wise to provide as far as wants, we provide. But there comes a time in, in, in every kid's life when they want to do their own thing and, and spend their own money. And they'll come and they'll say, well, I want this or I want that. And, and, and I'll tell them, well, if you want that, then there's some work that needs done around this house. I mean, if you want to go and buy uh, those uh, cards that they buy for, uh, for the games that they play, y'all know what I'm talking about, I don't even know what that's called, but mine love that stuff. You know, and they want to go to the uh, Walmart or Dollar General and buy those things. All right, that's fine. Dad, I need $20 for it. Well, great, the car needs washing. Also, man, the, the floor needs swept and the, and the living room needs cleaned. Just the other day, I spoke that to my kids. I said, look, who wants to make some money? They're like, yeah, well, Dad, we want to make some money. I'm like, okay, listen, let's clean this whole living room and I want it clean. And, and depending on how you clean it, that's what I'm going to pay you. And what's that teaching them? Not only does they work for what they want, but also if you do a good job, you can expect a good reward. And that's how we teach them day by day the little things that are really huge things when it comes to how they're going to live their life. But let me tell you what we should never do. We should never reward misbehavior or laziness. Look, if they won't hit a lick at a snake, if they won't work in a pie factory, they ain't going to eat either. That's all right. You don't want to work, but you ain't laying on my couch. Hey, listen, if you don't want to do your part, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, that's all right, but you ain't doing it here. And guys, listen to me, parents. I know that's tough, but tough love is necessary for if you reward bad behavior guess what you don't get more of bad behavior if you reward laziness guess what you gonna get more of laziness so we promote these hard work in 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 our home in our families with our children because god has promoted hard work to us does it make sense if you got it, say, I got it. So we should always promote hard work in our homes. Family value number four. We should speak that which edifies, encourages, and praises. Look what the Bible says in verse number 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, write down Proverbs 18, 21. You can actually just put that right there in the margin of your Bible, right by um, verse number 29. Proverbs 18, 21 tells us something that is absolutely amazing. It says that the power of life and of death is found in the tongue. 
Isn't that awesome? That means you can speak life or you can speak death. That's powerful. That means what you say certainly matters. <laughs> That's why Paul says then in Ephesians chapter 4 when he's talking to the church, the people of God, he says make sure what you're speaking is edifying, it's encouraging, and it's giving praise. Now sometimes, now let's apply that truth. How, how does that look, what does that look like in our family? What does that look like in our individual lives? Well, sometimes this is the hardest thing for dads. Not so much a lot of times for moms because moms are more, uh, they're more gifted to nurturing and, and, and to doing things that mamas do. They got a mama's heart. Dads sometimes can be a little bit more harsh. And it's sometimes, it, it's easy for dad to find the things their kids are doing wrong but harder for them to find things they're doing right. But now let me say something to you. They certainly need to be corrected and tell them what's wrong. But if you never tell them what they're doing right, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. When I was a little boy, one of my favorite things to do was go over um, to the Chupalo Mall or to Chuck E. Cheese and play in those arcades. Y'all remember that when we was kids? One of my favorite things in there after skee-ball, skee-ball was my favorite, but right after skee-ball was whack-a-mole. Y'all remember the whack-a-mole game? You're sitting there with that little um, cushioned plunger on the end of a stick, and you, you're standing in front of this machine that's got probably, I don't know, nine, ten different holes that this little thing pops up in, and, and then when it pops up, you got to hit it. And as long as you keep hitting the mole that pops up, you get, keep getting to play the game. And, and, and so, you know, you would sit there, and it'd pop over here, and you'd whack it there, and it'd pop over there, and you'd, you'd whack it there, and it'd pop up over there, and you'd whack it. Whack-a-mole game. I, I loved it when I was a kid. But, but let me say something to you. When we treat our children like the whack-a-mole game, it hurts much more than helps. If all we ever do is sit there with our stick and whack them and tell them what they're doing wrong, there'll come a time when they quit popping up. You know why? Because they're going to get it in their mind. If all I do is wrong and I can't do nothing right, then why, why should I even try? Should we correct them in their wrong? Absolutely. We've already talked about that a great deal. But listen, we also, also should praise them when they do what's right. The power of life and death is in the tongue. To edify means to build up. To encourage means to bolster on. Listen, when we're building them up to be the young man or young woman that, we, that God wants them to be, that, that we want them to be, as their parents, that's edification. That's giving them truth. That's giving them instruction. Can you say amen? But as they live their life, things are not always going to be easy. They're going to run into some stuff too. They're going to have some people at school that give them a hard time, and they're going to struggle in a class, and they're not going to do well in the game, and all of that's going to happen. And when those tough times come in their life, let me tell you something, that's when we use encouragement. Why? To bolster them on. To keep pushing them in the right direction. And then let me tell you what we do. 
we give them praise for the right things. We give them praise for hard work, regardless of outcome. We give them praise for just being who they are and the blessing that God has given us. How many know the Bible says that children are a heritage or a blessing from the Lord? They need to know that. They're not going to know it unless we tell them. And parents, you're not going to believe this, but kids believe what you tell them. If you continually tell them they can't, there will come a time when they believe it. If you continually tell them they don't measure up or make them feel that way, there will come a time when they believe it. On the other hand, if you tell them they can and keep telling them, pretty soon they'll believe it. And if you tell them that, listen, you, that, 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 that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and you tell them that, listen, they, they should never look down on anyone, but also they don't have to bend their head to anyone either. And you tell them that, pretty soon they'll believe it. You can either speak life or you can speak death. I heard a saying years ago, you've probably heard it too. It's a complete lie from the pits of hell. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. That's a lie. Don't you believe it? There are some things in my past that were said to me that still hurt me today that I still have to deal with that I still struggle with so let me encourage you speak life speak that which edifies and builds up speak that which encourages and bolsters on speak that which praises when praise is necessary find things they do right that's for your children let me tell you this though, wives, practice this with your husbands, and husbands, practice this with your wives. You say, ah, oh, brother Israel, they know it. Well, they may know it, but they need to hear it. Let me tell you something, wives, especially your husbands, they need to hear it. That's how they are wired. And I promise you this, and I've told you this before, what you need to start doing is playing chess instead of playing checkers. And I'm going to give you a great move that will work if you'll take advantage of it. I'm telling you. Give your husband praise and encouragement for the things he does right. And see how he changes. I'm telling you. My wife does this to me all the time. Now sometimes I think she's playing chess when I'm playing checkers. But she does this all the time. You, you, know, what I, you know what I think she does? I, I, I don't think she looks at me for who I am, but what I could be. And she treats me for what I could be. Because I've still got growing room, can you say amen? And all husbands do. But wives, let me tell you something. Don't treat him for just what he is. Yeah, he's got growing room and he's got his faults and he's got his failures. But look at his potential, what he could be. And start treating him like that and see how things change. It's amazing. Tell him thank you. 
Tell him how much you appreciate him. If he's a hard worker, let him know that you appreciate that. That that means something to you and to the family. And when he comes home and he's had a hard day at work and things just ain't went right and man, it's just been dealing with the stuff that you've got to deal with on a day-to-day basis and he comes into that house and listen, when he gets there and you tell him thank you and you appreciate him and you let him know that you're with him, I'll promise you this, it'll be a whole lot easier to get back up the next morning and go back to that work, workplace and face the things he faces. And do the things he must do for the family. If you believe it, men, say amen. So, that's not only true for the wife to the husband, but also from the husband to the wife. Mamas wear many hats. My goodness. They've always got something going on. They've got, you know, a family to take care of. A house to manage. And then if you've got a job, you've got a 40-hour work week that you throw in with that. You've got your ministry at the church. All that stuff piles up. Listen to me, men. Let them know that you are with them and not against them. Let them know that you appreciate the sacrifices they made. I'm telling you, when I was growing up, I seen my mama eat cold meals all the time to make sure we had a hot one. And now I see my wife do the same thing. And I see her go above and beyond for me and my kids. And I want her to know that means something to me. And when she knows it means something to me, maybe it will make it easier for her to wash that next load of clothes. Or run the kids to the next practice. Or get up and go to work tomorrow. Do you see how all this works? We speak life or death and it's in the power of the tongue speak that which edifies encourages and praises number five and I'm done verse number 32 tells us that we should offer forgiveness verse 32 says and be ye kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you That is such good, that is such powerful truth right there. When I preach messages like I've preached over the last six or seven weeks, it's really easy for you to get down on yourself, for me to get down on myself, because I look at my parenting, at my being a husband, and I see the growing room that I have, and I see the mistakes I've made. Let me tell you something. I want to encourage you. There are no perfect fathers. It's not there. There are no perfect mothers. There are no perfect children. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things unknowingly that hurt others. And we've all done things willingly as an act of our will to hurt others deliberately we've all done it you may be here this morning and you think I'll tell you what brother there's some things that I should have done that I didn't do and there's some things I did that I shouldn't have done as my husband or a wife 
or a mama or a daddy or a, ch- or a child or, or a son or a daughter. Let me tell you something. God shows grace to sinners. Amen? You and I can be forgiven. And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4.32, just as Jesus has done what's necessary to offer us forgiveness, just as God has forgiven us, we should also forgive one another. Amen? Is that easy? It's not. Sometimes that's the most difficult thing to do. It really is. Because you know what someone has done or maybe what they hadn't done. You know how they've hurt you. And it hurt deep, cut deep, whatever it was. I'm not trying to diminish that this morning. That's real stuff. And I get it. But now listen to me. Nobody has offended me like I have offended God. Nobody. One of my favorite scenes in the Passion of the Christ is the scene right before the crucifixion where you see the picture of the hands of Jesus being placed on the cross and then there's a spike in a hand put on the hands of Christ. The director of the movie is a man by the name of Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson is the one who was holding the spike. He was asked in an interview after the Passion of the Christ came out why he did that. He said because he realized it was for his sin that Jesus died. Nobody has offended me like I have offended Jesus. It was for my sin that he took the nails. It was for my sin that he bled and died. It was for my sin that he suffered the humiliation that he suffered. It was for my sin. It was for your sin. Nobody has offended me like I have offended Christ. And if Jesus has forgiven me, shouldn't I forgive others? Especially if I'm going to be Christ-like. When talking about Forgiveness and unforgiveness, my favorite quote that I've ever heard is people who choose to walk in unforgiveness because that's a choice. Somebody say amen. It's a choice to walk in unforgiveness. For someone who chooses to walk in unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. That's good. Let me give you another one. To walk in unforgiveness is to allow someone to live in your head rent-free. What that means is unforgiveness hurts you much more than it hurts someone else. If we choose to walk in unforgiveness, we choose bitterness. Bitterness, bitterness will lead to unhappiness in all areas of our life. 
as Christ has forgiven you, as Christ has forgiven me, let us forgive others. Now let me say something. Don't miss this. Unforgiveness is a choice. Or excuse me, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is freely given. Trust is earned. Hear what I'm saying. Forgiveness is given freely. Trust is earned. I heard someone say that trust is built one drop at a time, but lost by the bucket full. That is so good. When a husband makes a decision to devalue his wife, trust can be lost by the bucket full. When a wife makes the decision to disrespect her husband, trust can be lost by the bucket full. When parents make the choice to dehumanize their children, trust can be lost by the bucket full. Forgiveness is freely given, but trust has to be earned back. Can you forgive? Yes. Should you forgive for your benefit? Yes. Do you need to trust as it's earned? As it's earned. There's a difference in forgiveness and trust. They both work hand in hand. Forgiveness is free. Trust is earned one, one drop at a time. If you believe it, say amen this morning. And let me tell you this, and I'm done. We need to speak truth and life to others, that which edifies, encourages, and praises. But let me tell you something else. Not only should we speak that into other people, we should say that about ourselves. There are people listening to me this morning, and I'm one of them. The absolute hardest critic on me, as far as I know, is me. And it is tough for me to deal with my past. For decisions and choices that I made that caused me to forfeit the blessing of God that he wanted for me. And when I look back on it, it breaks my heart still to today so it's hard a lot of times for me to forgive me and if I'm not careful I'll speak bad of myself you know you can do that and guess what when you keep telling yourself you don't deserve it and you keep telling yourself you're not worth it and you keep telling yourself that you deserve that which is bad being done to you or you don't deserve that which is good and you keep saying all that stuff there's going to come a time when you'll start believing it. And then you'll start thinking, the world will be better off without me. My husband will be better off without me. My wife would be better off without me. My kids would be better off. You see how this works? You say, brother, how do you know that? Because I've been there. And it's all because we don't offer ourselves forgiveness. It's all because we believe the lie of the enemy. What if 
we started speaking life to ourselves and believing about ourselves and saying about ourselves what God says about us. Well, what's God say about us? I'm glad you asked. Psalm 139, the Bible says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you say amen? I am not an accident. I am put here on purpose. God has purpose for me. The Bible says in Romans 8, 15 that I've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but I have received the spirit of adoption whereby I cry, I have a father. That means God says, I am his son. Romans 8, 17 says I'm an heir to God and a joint heir with Jesus. That's who I am. You know what what else the Bible says in the book of Psalms? That I am not the tail, I'm the head. You know what else it says? It says that I am the apple of God's eye. Quit believing some of that negative self-talk you give yourself. Psalm 42 is a psalm about King David speaking to himself, speaking to his soul. And he pretty much says, soul, why art thou cast down? And really what he does, he grabs his soul by the nap of the neck and says, all right, you've wasted time on this pity party long enough. It's time to stop it. Read it for yourself this week. That'd be a great quiet time for you. Start believing what God says about you. Start speaking what God says about you. If you believe it, say amen today. Apply these values to your life. See if it won't work. Apply these to your marriage, to your parenting, to your family, to your home. God's word works. When we work it, everybody stand together. I'm going to give you, brother, please come on up. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to do business with God. That's what a time of invitation is all about. You've heard the word of the Lord this morning, as best I know how, by the power of the Holy Spirit to preach it. I've given you what I know God has put on my heart. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit of God is working in hearts and lives like only he can work in this moment. Now it's time for you to do business with God how you need to do business with God. Some of you may be here this morning and you've never been saved. You've never made the decision to trust in Jesus for salvation. I would love to show you what that means right here in the Word of God today. Some of you may be here this morning and you have been saved, but you know you're in a place in your life that God's not pleased with. I do believe it is possible for the believer to be backslidden. But I also believe the same God who once saved you has not left you. The same grace that saves you is the same grace that keeps you. And the same blood that forgive your sin, washed it clean at salvation, washes us clean even now when we confess our sin to Him. 
So if you're here and you need to be saved, won't you come? If you're here and you are saved, but you need to get some things worked out with the Lord, why don't you come? If you're here this morning and need to be baptized, won't you come? So, brother, I'm ready to make my profession of faith public. I've been saved, but I've never been baptized. We can handle that. If you're here this morning and you said, you know what? I've prayed about it. I've thought about it. I want to be used with the Lord. I want to serve God. I believe this is the place that God wants me to be used. This is the place that God wants me to serve. And I want to be a member of this church. Why don't you come? Again, time for you to do business. Really what I'm trying to say is, if you've not yet been saved, won't you come, let us help you. If you have been saved, and you're ready to live a life of service, being plugged in to a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church, then won't you come help us? Whatever you need this morning, God is available. Isn't that good? He's not hiding from you today. Brother Plinkley.